Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. I am pleased today to be joined by Nicole DeBias, who is Product Counsel at PackSafe. Welcome, Nicole, to the Platform Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, I am going to pick your brains for um, about 25 minutes, and I'm really fascinated by your job because um, I know that it's um, it's quite quite niche, and I'm going to want to hear all about it. So I think what we could do to start off with is, first of all, tell me how you came to work at PackSafe and, and, it, and sort of a bit about what PackSafe actually do. I know we've had them on the po- podcast before, but... Um, also, your your journey to that, because obviously you you were at law school to be a, a product counsel, and and how you got into this very specialist world. Yeah, definitely. So, I actually um, in between college and law school worked as a software developer for several years. So when I made the transition from being a software developer to law school, the hope was always to get back into technology. I just didn't know exactly what that would look like. So I focused a lot of my studies on technology law, intellectual property, data privacy and security. And then my final semester at law school, I started interning at PackSafe. Um, Loved it. They seemed to really like me, got an offer, and I've been there ever since full time for coming up on two years now. And so what PackSafe does is it's an electronic signature platform, but it really specializes in the high volume, low risk contracts, like terms of service, terms of use that um, people can accept via click wrap. Um, so by checking a box or yeah, checking a, a box or clicking a button explicitly to say, I agree to the terms and conditions, much like what you would see on a mobile app or a website when you're signing up for a platform. So I suppose that a lot of people might think that in a way, that sort of technology was all about, you know, creating the the actual technology. But there must be a huge amount of background work that goes into that from from the actual legal point of view, which is what you do, isn't it? It's the behind the scenes actually creating the contract so that when it is clicked, it's um, as as wrapped up as it as it could be. Is that a, a good way of explaining yeah, it? So- So our goal is to provide evidence of that contract acceptance. So we generate records of acceptance, identifying who signed, what version of the terms, when they signed it, um, and some other metadata surrounding that to kind of indicate how they signed. Um, And then also with that, we, we have a feature called snapshots that takes a screenshot of the screen that the user would have saw, would have seen at the time they're accepting the contract. So it's all about evidence gathering. Surprisingly enough, a lot of companies that have click wrap agreements on their websites or apps don't always have 
that kind of back-end work. It's just kind of a superficial, here's a checkbox, but it's not really doing anything in the background. We're not, we're not um, gathering anything at that time that that box is clicked or, you know, button mm-hmm. is clicked. So when it comes time to try and enforce those terms in court, they're kind of stuck relying on experts to explain, well, this is how you sign up for the platform. You have to check that box. It's mandatory. So because this user signed up for the account, they must have checked this box. Whereas we are able to say, yeah, they checked it. Here's the record of acceptance saying that they checked it. And it's mutable. We store it within our system. You know, we're an unbiased third party, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, those situations are, must be what exactly what a sort of what keep a, a product council awake at night. The thought that somebody has just put something up there and not, you know, it's not actually um, got the background work that's gone on to make it um, to make it safe. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely <laughs> keeps me busy. But I mean, on the other hand, with that, because not so many people have records like we provide. Um, courts are trying to find other ways of still enforcing the terms if if they are able to prove that they had to go through that process and check that box. And so um, there's a whole list of best practices that companies can follow that we've kind of pulled from cases and compiled and stuff like that. That intersection of legal and technology did that feel like something that was a natural fit for you and was it something that your peers at at law school were interested in as well or was it quite unusual that you wanted to get into that side of it it was definitely a natural fit for me and I was really excited to see this opportunity become available um I don't know that it's something that a lot of my peers in law school were interested in um, I get a lot of people, a lot of law students reaching out to me now interested in what I do and how they can kind of get on that path, but it's so niche and my background really is one of the main reasons that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Mm, because I mean, I presume that in a way, more and more legal processes are going to move into, you know, an online um, arena and that this is the way that things are going but I suppose there probably was a sense when you were at law school I know that's not very long ago but that you know this was a, a kind of new type of technology and a, a new type of contractual work oh yeah mm-hmm. well yeah I mean e-signatures have been around for 20 years but it's not taught in law school most most law students do not are not familiar with what goes into making an electronic signature enforceable and and a lot of attorneys don't either. It's just not taught. You don't really know it unless you have to use electronic signatures. That's interesting. And so tell me a bit about how this type of online contract um, has evolved over the years, because I'm, I very much imagine that you're far too young to remember the beginning of the internet. But um, these types of acceptance online how has that got to the stage where we have products now like like pat safe products what what was the transition and and how how did it work in the days when you know it was it was really new and not being done properly do you know much about how it's evolved up to this point yeah so in the past 20 years um i imagine we've gone through 
more of like a do-it-yourself, create-it-yourself kind of thing towards companies like mine existing and offering this service for companies. They don't have to do it themselves anymore. But, you know, in addition to that, what I've seen over the past 20 years is just a rapid increase in how many people are using these kinds of agreements. I think we put out a research paper every year, and the first one that we did back when I was an intern a couple of years ago noted like a 626% increase in click-wrap litigation over the past two decades. And what I've noticed within those two decades and then within the several years beyond that initial research paper is still a growing trend in more and more people using electronic signatures and click wrap in particular, especially in light of the pandemic mm. as online business became crucial to keep businesses running. But, um, you know, over time courts have gotten a lot more demanding in their evidentiary expectations and a lot stricter in what they're looking for and the best practices surrounding these kinds of agreements have really evolved into a really, um, robust list of, you know, almost like a, a guidebook that you should follow if you're going to implement the crap in your website or app. And it's usually the case when things evolve and change rapidly that there's been some bitter experiences along the way. Have there been some well-documented cases where either, you know, the, the, the sort of the, you know, either side of that transaction has gone so wrong that it's made people, you know, want to change things and, and tighten up? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I think one good example is just maybe two years ago, um, Facebook was involved in a case and the court basically told them, hey, if you had evidence that your users agreed to the modified terms, you would have won this case, but you didn't have that evidence. So you're losing. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So I mean, I think that's a great example of, yes, you know, you really have to capture metadata upon that click of a check or click of a checkbox or button to really be able to say this user signed up and agreed to these terms at this time. And then we modified our terms at a later date and that user agreed to the modifications. Here's when they agreed to the modifications, that kind of thing. It's become really important to be able to show that specific users did in fact agree to the terms. Mm -hmm. And I suppose when a, a case is as high profile as involving the name Facebook, then a lot of people are going to sit up and listen and think, oh, we've not done that either. Um, and, you know, <laughs> actually listen. So tell me a bit more about your your actual role and and you you mentioned before that uh, you know compliance is a part of that but can you tell me some of the other strands and and if there is such thing as a typical day although I imagine that that's changed in the last 12 months but what what would that look like yeah I don't know that there's a typical day but there are certain common themes throughout my week so I read every single case that comes out about the industry so anything mentioning electronic signatures Quick wrap, sign and wrap, browse wrap. I read those cases. Um, I keep an inventory of data I pull out of each case so that I can compile stats and stuff later on. Um, and then I use what I pull out of those cases to kind of guide the product and engineering teams to make sure that our product is not only you know up to speed with what's going on in the courts, but also is staying ahead of legal trends. This because the more you read these cases, the more you kind of read between the lines and you see trends evolving. Um, you see certain cases 
always losing or certain cases always winning. And you kind of get a feel for why that is and what we can do with our platform to enable our customers to be successful in any of those kinds of cases going forward. So that's a huge part of my job. Um, and the volume of cases really just depends on the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I know courts were shut down some last year, so cases slowed down a little bit and they picked back up. Um, so that that there's that. And then as product counsel, um, compliance is a huge part of my job. So making sure our product is complying with relevant regulations, um, Eastline and UIDA being the two U.S. e-signature laws we really care about and want to make sure that our, our platform is compliant with. And then there's a whole string of other regulations that um, are, are important for data privacy and security reasons, um, but then also are important to our customers that they be able to comply with. So take HIPAA, for example. We don't necessarily need to comply with HIPAA, but a number of our customers might need to. So we want to make sure that we can enable them to be compliant with HIPAA. Um, and then there's a bunch of other regulations really similar to that. So I do regular compliance audits against our system. And then I also am on the information uh, security committee. So helping them out, helping with security questionnaires, um, security audits, like all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously at Marketplace Risk, our focus is on two-sided marketplaces. How many of your clients at PackSafe does that make up? I mean, because I imagine that you work with a, a whole range of technology companies. Yeah, we we do a whole range of, of technology companies. Um, a number of B2B companies, but then a, a pretty rapidly increasing number of B2C companies as well. I'd say it's, I don't have a ton of really good insight, but from what I, from what I see, I think it's a good mix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think with marketplaces, obviously you have that really unusual situation where the platform itself, the company is connecting two sides and I suppose for compliance that can throw up a whole you know different and unusual bunch of of challenges um and I know that you know you've talked about some um of these you know well-documented cases specifically Ticketmaster um which we're actually exploring in the webinar that we're doing with you so thank you for being part of that series as well so can you tell me a bit more about about that um oh about cases like that yeah yeah so a lot of times I mean, I read every case that comes out, so I think mm-hmm. everything is interesting. But <laughs> when you're looking at more high-profile names like Ticketmaster, Eventbrite had a recent case as well. Um, Uber gets sued a lot. A lot of times people are wondering um, what happens with mm. that. You know, they just, who wins? And it's a lot more complicated than that. Companies like that are going to try and enforce some clause in their terms so I, I believe with Ticketmaster um, it was an arbitration clause which is the most common clause any company tries to enforce I, I believe the 2020 statistic on that is like 80 something percent of cases involved a motion to compel arbitration pursuant to a company's terms and so you know then what happens with that do they win like you know if it's in their terms 
because they should be good, right? And it's a lot more complicated than that. When you're talking about online contracts, you got to look at whether or not it's enforceable and there's that goes into making something enforceable and it's very heavily evidence-based. You know, do you have records of acceptance? Do you have screenshots of what the user would have seen? What do those screens look like? Are they well-designed or are they not well-designed? Um, do you have someone with knowledge of, of the, of the product of the applications explain the contract acceptance process and, and really verify that, this user did agree to the terms and here's how and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Has there been a, a high profile case that has really surprised you in the sense that you, you know, you were quite, you know, you can believe that in a way that they didn't have something or that, you know, it, it didn't go the way that you'd expected to, because I imagine when you, but, you know, following these cases like this and reading up on these, um, you know, that it's almost like a, you know, a bit of a, a, a sort of, um, you know, a drama playing out. And um, when, when you find that there's a, a twist in the plot and that it's not the actual side that, that one that you expected to, has that ever happened? Um, occasionally, uh, sometimes I'll see a case where I really think that they had a, had a good system. They probably should have won the, the case that I guess doesn't surprise me, but I think might surprise a lot of people is, um, Uber. Mm -hmm. So Uber has two different kind of groups that sign up for the platform. They have their, their riders and their drivers. And for their drivers, they use a very specific method of contracting. Um, they, they, it's click wrap. So drivers have to explicitly manifest the sense of the contract terms. The entire purpose of the screen they see is manifesting assent. Like the whole, there's nothing else on the screen except for, I agreed to the terms, here they are, that kind of thing. And because of that, Uber always wins. They're always able to compel arbitration with their drivers. Their writers, on the other hand, they don't use a click wrap. They use what I call a sign-in wrap. So the difference between a click wrap and a sign-in wrap is both require the user to click something. For a click wrap, clicking that button or checking that box is the contract acceptance is the sole purpose of that action. For sign-in wraps, it's the users are taking some other action like logging in, signing up, registering, and by clicking that button, they are also agreeing to the terms. So it's a dual purpose button, less enforceable. Clearcrafts, I think, have about 70 or 80% success rate in courts as of 2020. Finding wraps have more of like a 60% enforceability rate. And Uber's enforceability rate with their writer sign-in screen is about 50%. Um, so why have they done it that way? I see that's what's really confusing to me because they they're so successful with their drivers. I don't understand why they don't use that exact same screen for their riders. They know it works. They know that their rider screen does not work. They get sued by both parties about the same amount of times. So I, I don't know why they are opening themselves up to risk when they, they do know better. You know, a lot of companies don't know better. They think, oh, well, we're just trying to make the marketing team happy by just doing one click, making it easier for users to sign up by limiting the amount of clicks and screens and that kind of stuff. But Uber knows that the driver's screen is better. So I don't know why they don't use that for the riders as well. 
You've touched on something there, which I think is another interesting um, thing, you know, that I wanted to find out from you, because the, is there a conflict in a way between the world of, of sort of user experience and marketing and, and your side of things? Do you know, you maybe imagine that, um, you know, to get the kind of the actual compliance there, that it would be better if there was, you know, X number of screens to go through, whereas obviously from a user experience point of view and so reducing friction in an app, you might want people to 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 flow through in fewer screens. Is there a a conflict there, or do you think it's a case of really sort of working together when it? Um, yeah, I think I think conflict is the right word. I think um, I think at my company it's different because it's legal software, so our marketing team is super willing to work with me, and they I mean they do everything right, so I'm happy with them. But um. Yeah, I think for a lot of other more traditional legal departments at non-legal software companies, there is a conflict between legal and product and legal and engineering because legal, for the most part, can't do everything themselves. So they, they draft terms and stuff like that. They draft modified terms, but then they have to go to engineering and ask them to update it on the website. And they you know have to go to marketing and, and say, hey, can we... Or, or the design team or, or whoever is in charge of, of the screen design. Maybe it's the engineering team, user interface team or something like that. They ha- but they have to, you know, kind of go through another team and say, hey, can we have input on the screen design? Can you, you know, and a lot of times there's conflict there because marketing um, design teams really just want to maximize the amount of consumers that sign up for the platform. Mm-hmm. So I want to make it as possible. The less clicks, the better. And so the compromise is often a sign-in wrap, which is not as enforceable. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that sort of you know a product like PackSafe is 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 good in, in that in, in that respect because it's got the the background work, but uh, you know the ease that the marketeers are going to be happy mm-hmm. with as well. And um, in the last oh, few minutes, the... oh yeah, go ahead. In the last few minutes, I just wanted to touch on, um, you talked about trends, and I think this is very interesting, especially as we move into what can hopefully be something of a of a new normal in 2021. And obviously, you've been experiencing um, a real shift online for many companies, and PackSafe have been at the kind of, um, you know, at the front of that adoption and, and helping people out. How do you see the trends in what you're doing and cases that might be coming up and what are you looking out for as people start to move into maybe less of an online world um, or, you know, what what do you think is going to be happening in your world over the next sort of six months, a year as, as things change yet again? Yeah, so I I think that when the pandemic ends or people are able to return to somewhat more of a normal way of life, I don't think we're going to see much decrease in the amount of online business. I think if anything, it's just going to keep growing. And I think we're going to keep seeing more and more businesses online just because it's easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can streamline, you, can, you know, you don't have to worry about office space as much. You can, it's just, you can connect to people beyond, you know, your, your community I just, I think we're going to keep seeing that. Um, and, and with that, you know, when, when people are starting to do business online and they're thinking through stuff like this, they, they tend to look at more established companies for guidance on the right way to do things. Um, so, you know, like Uber and 
just because a big company is doing it a certain way doesn't mean it's the right way. So I really hope that people are willing to look at, because we put out a lot of resources on screen design best practices and, you know, stuff to set yourself up for success. So I'm hoping that people are kind of taking a look at that and, and designing their websites accordingly. <laughs> and what have been the um, the stories that have grabbed you, you know, recently? We I think we spoke before um, we came on the podcast briefly about the, the Robin Hood story. Was that, that was, I imagine, one that was um, quite, you know, quite interesting for someone with your background to, to read up on? Yeah, yeah. So... I was interested just because when I saw that, I was like, well, I know what's coming next. (laughs) I I can read their terms. I know probably what their next move is going to be. I think they, as far as I know, I don't think they've filed any sort of response yet, but I could be wrong. I haven't checked in in a couple of days, but it's funny. um, There's a couple of other lawyers at at my company. And um, I just remember when the Robin Hood stuff came up, both of our phones kind of blew up from friends asking like, Hey, what are the implications of, this kind of a lawsuit like isn't this the space that you're in um you know what do you think will happen and so it turned into me and him both writing blog posts and doing some webinars together on kind of our take on on everything so it's fun you know I I have a lot of lawyer friends working in in different industries and we all ask each other questions but I don't I don't get a ton of questions from my friends but I mean, that day everyone was was pretty interested yes. in my opinion on that on everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like suddenly everyone's realizing what you've been doing all along. It's like, yeah. oh, is this not exactly. is this not Nicole's world? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll probably see that you know more and more now, um, and that people are more tuned in, and it's all starting to make sense a bit more. That um, you know, um, but I yeah, I, I'll certainly be um, be reading your blog posts um, when. Robin Hood hits the news again so I'll be looking out for that um thank you Nicole and thank you also for um appearing on our live event about the the Ticketmaster um uh issue so we're looking forward to that and um hopefully we'll be able to get you again on um the podcast or one of our events but in the meantime thank you for for telling us a bit more about what you do it's been really interesting yeah thanks for having me Thank you for tuning into the platform podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.